Good afternoon. Praise the Lord. Welcome to the Living Savior Ministries. Wow. What a blessed, beautiful day. Like Dave said, it is a beautiful, magnificent, glorious day out there today. I'm mean, it's 55 or 60 degrees out there. and The wind's a little stiff at times. You know, uh, five miles an hour one time, 15 miles an hour the next time. But at least we can handle that, can't we? The, the wind's blowing. At least we don't have four foot of snow on us like they did in Colorado. You know, I'm sure I'm sure grateful I didn't have to dig out a four foot of snow this morning. You know, that's that's a, that's a blessing. But that's why I live in Texas. Praise the Lord. Uh, but when you live in Texas, you have to really know who you are, or a tornado will get you. You know, so you really, you know, the other night we only had 21 tornadoes uh, uh, that they said was in that little deal. Yeah, that's at least somebody told me they heard on the news that. They had either spotted or seen or whatever, 21 tornadoes in the Metroplex the other day. So I thought, now would be a good time to really know who you are in Christ. You know, really, really be a good time to know who you are. So, but praise the Lord. It's good to see all of you here today. I see some faces here today that haven't been here in a while. Praise the Lord, but it's good to have you. Uh, I would like to start out today. Does anybody have a testimony that you want to share with us something God's done. We've got, there's a lady right over here. Boy, we got one right off the bat, and then we got, we'll get them. Praise the King. What kind of testimony you got, young lady? Step up here where they can see you. Okay. I have a great testimony to the Lord. Um, two weeks ago, we were here, and just before we pulled up into the parking lot out here, uh, my older daughter in Oregon, who is also a missionary, uh, call me and we talked and she told me the last thing she said to me was, Mom, next year I'm going to, the Lord showed me I'm going to have a whole new life. Well, I said, well, praise God. And she said, you too, Mom. And I said, yeah, me too. She said, I'll call you in a few days. Well, I came in here and I saw a vision of Jesus here. And Thurman changed his ministry. And what I saw was Jesus from the waist down with his feet with the nail scars in it. He was barefooted. And then Thurman talked about, you'll know the real Jesus through the nail-scarred hands and the nails in his feet. And I thought, what is this about? Should I go out and tell Thurman afterwards? But he got busy and I had to leave. And on Thursday, that next Thursday, we uh, were called from by my son-in-law and said my daughter had passed away, that daughter, and that's my older daughter. And I am not sad because my daughter's not in my past. She's in my future. Amen. And she always liked to do things better than the rest of the family and go on ahead of us and jump out there. And I said, oh, yeah, you just had your 50th birthday, so you had to go on ahead. But I want to tell you the miracles that God did through this whole thing. Uh, first of all, uh, American Airlines flew my whole family up there for nothing. Amen. Praise and, you know, uh, some of my daughters, I have had five daughters, and some of them could not afford to go. They have children or whatever. But we flew up there. We had a wonderful flight. We got up there, and uh, we began to hear the testimonies about my daughter and at her funeral it was uh, we just had a graveside thing for the family and a few close friends but we had a memorial service and it was very happy time because 
my daughter had a prison ministry there, and uh, she would go into the Philippines and into Mexico, and she was a real preacher in the family, and uh, they had Filipinos there, pastors, talking about the things my daughter did in the Philippines, and then they had all these young women that had been in prison, and they began to get up and say how she mentored them, and one even read a poem that my daughter wrote, and uh, she said, now she will take my daughter's place going to the prison. Uh, it was such a joyful time. I, uh, When I first heard it, I was very sad and upset at God. But then when I got up there and I heard all the testimonies and the church was filled with people, and they gave so many testimonies about my daughter, and I was like, I'm so glad we got to hear all of this. And uh, it was just a joyful time. God has put a peace in my heart. And he said, no, that you sowed her. And so I just sowed her to the Lord. Amen. And I know, and even when we were coming back, uh, the plane, they we got on the plane. We sat there 45 minutes. They had a light problem up in the front with the fuel. And so they wouldn't take off until they knew that light was okay. Well, a man had come in and sat down across from me, an older man. He kept looking at me and looking at me. And I thought, well, what's this guy looking at me for, you know? And so, anyway, um, we had to get off the plane because they said they're not going to take it and we're going to have to go on another American plane. So we're off, everybody trying to figure out how they're going to get on another plane. Well, then we're walking around, and I, and I was going to go to the restroom, and I saw this man, and I said, oh, did you happen to get on the plane that we are going to Dallas? He said, yes, and I have been praying. He said, God gave me a word for you on the plane, but with all the mix-up, I couldn't give it to you. But he said, I've been walking up and down here praying that if God really wanted me to give you this word, that you would come up in front of me and talk with me. And he said, here you are. And he gave me this beautiful word about God going to send me back to the mission field this year. And he said all these wonderful things, and he said, and don't worry about your children. He said, God has them in hand, and your your children are going to be blessed because of your obedience. Praise the Lord. And it was so like, God, you're so awesome. Yeah. You even made that light come on in that plane so that man could tell me privately and instead of on the plane with all these people. Amen. So how awesome is our God? Amen. He's awesome. He yes. is more than awesome. Praise the Lord. Nothing is hard for God. Nothing. All right. Who's got another one? Praise the Lord, young lady. You got one? Come up here and tell us what Jesus has done for you. Amen. Well, my first testimony is the the word is working mightily in me. Amen. So that's my first testimony. But my second testimony is, um, you know, of course I've been listening to the tape, and I've been learning, you know, the things of the Lord. And one of the things, um, the, the Holy Spirit put the word bow down in my spirit. So I looked in the Bible, and I started looking up the word bow down, and I saw how God, men of God bowed down before the king. And I said, oh, my goodness, Lord, I've never bowed down before you, you know, as a part of worship. So I started bowing down. So then um, one of the 
the cassettes I was listening to, Pastor Diamond was saying how we don't see a miracle because we don't act. And um, he said if we will just praise the king, then God will touch our heart and we'll ask him for a miracle. So um, I said, okay, Lord. So I said, Lord, I have to teach my daughter how to worship you also. So my daughter's 15, and I said, precious, mommy got to teach you how to bow down and worship the king. So we both bowed down in the living room, and we started worshiping God. We just praised your holy name. And I said, after I even prayed, I said, Lord, show us a miracle. So we got up, and my daughter, you know, was doing her thing, and I was doing my thing. And all, my daughter had turned on the television, and the news was on. And, um, and I normally don't watch television, so it was just weird that she turned it on. And it was the news. And it was a report about how this lady last year had got a, a knife stabbed in her neck and how the knife went through and it um, went by her spinal cord. And this lady is still alive today. And the words that came out of the doctor's report was, this was a miracle. And I said, Precious, because that's my daughter's name. I said, Precious, look, we just asked God to show us a miracle. And she said, yes, Mommy, that's the miracle. So we just got so excited. Amen. That's praise the Lord. Me. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. If you bow down before Him, man, He likes that. He likes for you to bow down before Him and worship Him. He really likes that. If you'll humble yourself like that and bow down before Him, He will do great and mighty things for you. Anybody else? We have another testimony. Praise the Lord. Come up here. Praise the King. Got some good testimonies today. Praise the Lord. Hold her up close where you can hear it. You want to hear me? Yeah. All right. Uh, a young woman that I was seeing, we came up here uh, for, for prayer, and she wanted prayer for a lot of things, and I didn't even know she was going to ask for this, but she had um, a scar. She had her spleen ruptured. And it was literally from here to here. And it's not a little scar. It's like the size of your pinky sticking out and red. Okay, and it's been there for years. And she got prayer for it. She didn't even say anything. About two weeks later, she's like, look, I just, just look at this and just want to see what you think. And the top two and a half inches was completely gone. I mean, I'm talking about you can see where it was, but it was flat and the color of skin. So I don't want to take anything away from God curing a cold, but to see something with my own eyes that was there and now it's not. Oh, my faith is through the roof, so praise God. <laughs> praise God. Thank you. Thank you. God, you. God is good. God is good. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I've seen the Lord take off multiple scars in my life. He is a mighty God. He can do anything you can believe Him for. Well, Sharon and I get to pray every morning that God will use us and bring people into our lives that we can pray for. So I have people coming in my office all day long that I get to pray for. And a couple of testimonies this past week, one lady came in and she has a mother who's 95 that works in a soup kitchen. And she said, oh, my mother's so sick with the flu. She said she's in bed and she's just 
not feeling well. I said, let's just pray right now and kick that devil out. So we prayed for her, and the instant that we prayed, God healed her. And when this lady went home, her mother was up in the kitchen cooking, and she said, Mother, what are you doing? She said, I don't know. About an hour and a half ago, I just thought, what am I doing in bed? I'm healed. And she said, I got up, and she said, that was the exact moment that we prayed. So she called me all excited. And then I have another man that came in this week, and he um, just quit his job as a trucker, and he has a ministry preaching on the streets in downtown Dallas, and he started a halfway house for men that have gotten out of prison. And uh, he had a really bad cold, and I said, well, let's just pray right now. And ask God to heal you. So the next day he called me, praise God. He said, my cold is totally gone. So anyway, that's just a few little things, but it's exciting to pray for people and see how God heals them. Amen. Now, that's exactly what we all should be doing all the time. I mean, we should, as a Christian, as a Christian, you should never miss an opportunity to pray. Now then, just like Keith, uh, I mean, they said a while ago, God will not hear your prayer if you're living in some kind of sin. So if you get your sins all repented of and you walk into God's kind of love, then you can pray in faith. And when you pray in faith, you can see God do these great and wonderful things. He's a mighty God. Any other testimony? Do we have any more? Deborah? Praise the Lord. Well, I have friends that uh, come to the church, and sometimes they're back and forth, but they'll call me during the week and say, well, this is going on or that's going on or whatever. And so one of my friends who's been looking for a house, and we'd gone by and uh, seen one that she was interested in a couple of weeks ago, I was telling her, well, you know, if you feel like this is it, go ahead and, and try to do something. Well, she called me last week and said, well, I could just kick myself because I didn't go ahead and do anything. I guess I just didn't have enough faith to move forward because we had all these things going on. And I said, well, you know, she said, well, I don't mean to be complaining, but I just feel like I let God down is that I didn't have the faith. And I said, well, don't worry about it. If that house is yours, meant to be yours, it'll be. And if it's not, you'll find another one. Amen. Well, she called me this morning and she said, well, I found the other one. It's much better than the last one. And I put a contract on it, and we've already signed the papers. Amen. Praise the Lord. Always remember, don't get in a hurry. Let God be God. You know, there's not anything, you know, that can't be better. You know, so that's the whole thing. Sure. Praise the Lord. We've got testimony. We've got a ro- we're on a roll here. Praise the King. Well, this is this is really kind of sweet. This this little lady called me the other day, and she was just in tears. She said, "I have lost my best friend. She won't call me. She won't answer my calls." She says, "And I know what it is." She says, "I asked the Lord, and I'm a Jezebel, and I'm trying to control her, and I know it, and I'm sorry." I said, "Well, you know, God is faithful, and deliverance is like my specialty. So you called the right place." And she goes, "Really?" I said, "Yes." I said, "We're going to kick that devil out of you." I said, and when we do, I said, I want you to get in the Psalms and you read. I said, and what's your friend's name? She told me. I said, and then we're going to ask the Lord just to ask her to just, you know, be, have grace and to forgive you and to call you up. And she got, she called back in 10 minutes and she said, I was just sitting there reading the Psalms. And she called and she forgave me and we're going to be best friends again. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'll give it to you while you're here. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? 
Anybody? Oh, goodness, we got another one right here. Wow. We are on a roll today. Praise the Lord. I started not to come up here and give this one, but I think it's important because um, for the first time in, I guess, about 10 years, our whole family was together over Christmas. Amen. And that was a huge miracle in itself. And I just want to publicly acknowledge the Lord's grace. He gave me a scripture over Christmas, and it was, He resists the humble, excuse me, He resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And the time that I spent this fall getting to the place where all of our family could be together wasn't a whole lot of fun. It was a, you know, a lot of just digging up the ground and working really hard. But I'm so thankful, and I just want to give praise to the Lord for allowing my family to be together, and I'm just appreciative. And I want to say thank you for all of those in this body that prayed because your prayers availed much, and I'm grateful. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Wow. Now then, we don't want to quit unless that's the last one. Is that the last one? You know, is that the last one? Okay, we'll 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 stop there. Praise the King. All right. Now then. Do what? Eldon? Oh, no, no. I didn't, I didn't see you raise your hand. I was not looking. Praise the King. Let me turn that mic back on. We, we ain't through yet. Well, I usually have things happening during the week like this. But anyway, uh, Melody was talking about her horse, and I've talked about horses too, about praying. I don't know what the Lord's doing having me pray for horses like He has. But anyway, a lady uh, called um, Tuesday, I guess it was. And she didn't know what she was going to do. Uh, she had her horse to the vet, and she wanted her horse to have a colt. And she took the horse to the vet, and the horse wasn't feeling good. I mean, it's just like the vet didn't know what to do, and he couldn't tell her if the horse was going to have a cold or not. And she said, and by the way, I'm just so tired, I don't know how I'm going to go to work today. And I said, well, you called the right place. I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray for you on the phone. And that horse is going to be fine. You remember, I prayed for your horse back well, about eight months, nine months ago now. I prayed for another horse, and it just got okay, you know. Well, anyway, I prayed for that horse. And the next morning, she called, and she says, You won't believe this, but my horse, its udder is filled out. The tits are big. She said, That horse is going to have a colt. And it's just kicking up its heels and running around the room feeling fine. And by the way, I went to work and I didn't have any problem at all. I just had all kind of energy. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Isn't it, isn't it amazing what... Yes, come on, come on. Isn't it amazing what prayer does? Praise the Lord. Absolutely. Glory to God. I know you said no more, but... No, uh, I, just, you know. I, I never, I never <laughs> stop unless there's no more. I said if there's no more, there's no more. Okay. But if there's another okay. one, praise God. Well, good. Because, I mean, the Lord's really been with us. We've been through a lot of challenges. And every time it's like I find another verse that says, if you want to take from me, then you'll have to return. You know, Satan has to return many times over. And so yesterday... Uh, afternoon, Matthew was driving our car back. I had we, had we were down to one car between us. He was driving it back from the shop, and he had a wreck. And the, Matthew's okay. Uh, the car was totaled. And so, you know, I mean, so, you know, when that happened, I mean, first of all, I found out he was okay, and, you know, all, all of the... Where's the car? And, you know, you know, all of that. And, I mean, it's really total. 
And when you look at the car, you have to go, wow, the Lord was really with him. And so I just uh, praising him for the, for Matthew being well and okay, you know everything's okay with him. And and now we'll have to have another vehicle come in. So we're going to trust the Lord. I mean, if it was an older car, I mean, it had 250,000 miles on it. It was a 1992, but it was kept up. I mean, it had like 400,000 miles in it. And so you know we're asking the Lord for a better vehicle, and you know, and really we need two of them. So you know, I'm just saying, come into agreement with me that we're going to have something so much better, and one day I'll be up here. To telling you how great the replacement is. Amen. Praise the Lord. We are in agreement with that. Praise the Lord. Okay, now then, going once, (laughs) going twice, (laughs) anymore. Okay, I I don't want to stop this. There's somebody else that's got one. Praise the Lord. This is all about Jesus and His church, not mine anyway. You know, so I just get to be up here part of the time. But let's come to the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you and praise you for this beautiful day that you've given us. I am so grateful, Lord, that you're in control of everything, and we know we can trust you for everything. You are the mighty God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and I ask you to bless us today and speak to us out of your word that we may hear and know and understand your ways because you and the word are one. Now, thank you, Father, for your word, and bless it as it goes out. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have ever heard this phrase, judge not, lest you be judged? How many of you probably said that? (laughs) Probably most of you. Does anybody know where that's found? Matthew chapter 7 is one of the places, and Luke chapter 6 is another place. I went into the this week while I was studying about this in the last few days. I went into the computer. And, of course, those of you that don't know, you can go to our website and get uh, go to links from our website and go to the Blue Bible. And, of course, uh, the Blue Bible, it has at least 12 or 14 different translations. It's got hundreds of commentaries. You can look up everything. It's got everything. I have not even began to touch what's available in that software package. And it's free. It don't cost you anything to use it, but it's one of the finest ones out there. And these men that are doing this uh, uh, are constantly upgrading this thing and putting new commentaries and, and everything in it. But I went in there, and where it says the phrase, I put judge, and I, when I went in judge, and, and then I put a, a wild card in there so I'd get you know all the things that go with judge. And when I looked it up, it was the word judge was used 331 times in the Bible. And in other ways it's used was 150 other ways. And you just name it over and over and over and over. So I picked every one of them out. And I thought I'd teach every one of you those, all those today. <laughs> wow, are we in for a day? Uh, no, I just picked a few. But I'm on, I want to start today in Matthew chapter 7, chapter 7, verse 1. Through first five. This is a King James now that I'm going to read out of. I'm going to read both out of the King James and the NLT. Uh, I got a new, uh, beautiful NLT uh, leatherback, soft-bound Bible for Christmas this year, and it's—I guess I got to use it, right? You know, so uh, that's—I've worn out many Bibles in my life, and I don't even know how many King James I've wore out. Uh, I wore out one NIV until I found, by the time I had that NIV wore out, I found out how many places there were scriptures missing. 
so I quit using the NIV. Uh, it's okay. It's not a bad Bible, but there's so many powerful things left out of the NIV. So I don't use the NIV, and I wouldn't recommend it, you know, as a study Bible. If you were going to, if that's the only one you're going to study, I wouldn't recommend using that one book. And if you use it with two or three others, uh, then I don't have a problem with it. Uh, but anyway, in chapter one of, I mean, of chapter seven, verse one, he says, "Judge not." that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why, why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but consider not the beam that is in your own eye? Or how will you say to your brother, let me pull out the mote out of your eye, and behold, a beam is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First cast out the beam out of your own eye, and then you shall see clearly to cast out the small mote out of your brother's eye. I'm going to read that to you in the NLT. Stop judging others, and you will not be judged. For others will treat you as you treat them. Whatever measure you use in judging others, it will be used to measure you, how you are judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first get rid of the log from your own eye, then perhaps you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Then I'll read this one other verse here in the NLT, too, that he makes right after that. He says, don't give what is holy to unholy people. Don't give pearls to swine because they will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. Well, we hear about judging, and we hear about Jesus was saying this. You know, this was Jesus talking about this. And so what we have done, we have let this filter over into the church. And so when we see brothers and sisters doing something wrong, we don't say anything because we think the Word of God says, Judge not, lest you be judged. But... In Luke chapter 6, verse 37, he makes a little different statement. In Luke chapter 6, verse 37, he says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. Then he says, Give, after he talks about forgive, forgive, and you shall be forgiven. Then he says, give, in verse 38, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, that you measure with all, it shall be measured to you again. And he spoke a parable to them. He says, can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? 
The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceiveth not the beam that is in your own eye? Either how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the mote that is in your eye. When you yourself beholdest not the beam that is in your own eye, you hypocrite, cast out first the beam out of your own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to pull out the mote that is in your brother's eye. You see here, when we see this about judge not, lest you be judged, I don't know how many times that I, myself, will be talking to someone. Maybe it's someone that, and usually it is, someone that goes to church very little. And they will be living in some kind of sin. And I will ask them a question. You know, when I find out what their sin is. Maybe they're stealing from the company. You know, maybe they're, who knows what they're doing. But whatever they're doing, I see, and from my standpoint, from my perspective, walking as a Christian in the workplace, even long before I became a pastor of a church, even before I knew God was going to call me to do this, I would get one of those people to the side, and I would say, you know, I see you're doing this, and I understand that you've told me you're a Christian. And, well, yeah, I am a Christian. I said, do you go to church? Well, no, me and God have a thing. I said, well, you know, you need to be in church. He says, what are you doing judging me? You know the Bible says, judge not, lest you be judged. I mean, you ever been presented something like this? See? Well, now then... Do you think I was wrong in what I was doing, confronting my brother in Christ? He needs to be in church? Well, now why is it you don't think I'm wrong, but he thought I was wrong? Because he was in sin, and he didn't want to be judged. So, you know, this is what we have heard. We have have allowed or let the enemy to beat up on us with that statement, judge not lest you be judged. I mean, so... Somebody said, well, you know, old Thurman, you know, he says, he says he's a Christian, but he only goes to church every other week or something like that. And, and then during the week, I hear him saying bad things, talking dirty jokes and stuff that he ter- found off the television or something like that. And somebody says, what are you judging him for? So, are you a Christian? Yes. Well, don't you know the Bible says, judge not lest you be judged? You know, it's amazing how we take this and not understand what Jesus is saying. So, I've heard a lot of people in church make this statement, and I've had it presented to me over and over and over through the years, you are not to judge anybody. How many of you believe that's true? Well, I hope you don't. If you do, you don't know what the Word of God says. Now then, from here, after we go through this, uh, after... uh, Luke was writing this in here. He says, forgive and you shall be forgiven. Now, a lot of people don't understand that either. They do not understand that if you do not forgive, this is over and over and over in the Bible, that if you don't forgive, God will not forgive you. Isn't that scary? That if you think, okay, Lord, I am this wicked sinner, 
Yeah, I mean, I have been a murderer, a rapist, a drunk, an alcoholic, a druggie. I've done everything under the sun, if I had of. And I was that, and all of a sudden, somebody leads me to Jesus, and I get saved. Well, I mean, I got saved, and I got washed and clean. And how many of those sins in the past did God forgive? No, He couldn't have possibly forgive all, could He? I mean, a guy that wicked? Oh, He can? Okay, so if He washed me clean... Now then, ever since been forgiven, and I'm washed clean, now then I'm set for heaven. But now then, all of a sudden, I run into a gentleman here that does something wrong to me, and I don't like him, and I'm not going to forgive him. And all I do is say, well, you know, that guy, I don't like him. He done me wrong. I'm not going to ever have anything to do with this guy. You know, I've I got a grudge against that guy. Now then, according to the Word of God, you're not forgiven anymore. I refuse to forgive him. And because I refuse to forgive him, the Lord says, I will not forgive you. Is that scary? So what what are you going to do if you die in that sin? What are you going to do if you die and you get to heaven and you say, Lord, here I am? He says, I don't know who you are. But Lord, I'm washed in the blood. He says, no, no, no. You had a grudge against somebody on earth and you would not forgive them. So since you didn't forgive them, neither could I forgive you. Isn't that going to be scary? That is really scary. You know, I would never hold a grudge against anybody for anything because you might miss heaven. And what they've done to you, is it worth missing heaven? Ooh, I think not. I think not. But the Lord tells us there, right there, that we must forgive. And He said, and if we forgive, then you shall be forgiven. But he also says in many other places in his word that if you do not forgive, neither will I forgive you. And you want a prayer answered after that? Forget it. It's basically not going to happen because you're living in sin. So now then, as he talks about all these things, after he's talking to the people about judging, these are people that are all in the world. And there's a lot of people out there. Now, what if, what if I walk up to somebody and say this guy... Uh, you know, that he's stealing from his company. And I see him stealing from his company. And I say, brother, I, I walk up to him, I say, are you a Christian? He said, no. I said, you don't go to church? No. I don't believe in that religious junk. I just saw him stealing. Now then, can I judge him as a lost man with what he's done is wrong? No, I cannot. You're absolutely right. I cannot judge him. That's what the court systems are for. That's what the law is for, to judge the people of the world. But you and I cannot judge a person. You can't tell him, you know, the Word of God says that that's a sin. And you're not supposed to do that. He could care less what the Word of God says. He's just told me he's not a believer. He don't believe in the principles of God's Word. So he's a lost man. So you cannot judge him. That All you can do now is talk to him about the love of Jesus. And when you get him saved, then you can tell him what he's doing is wrong. But you know... You, you can't judge him around the Word of God at this point. The Lord says there, after he talks about these things, then he says, after you have for, judged not, so you won't be judged, and then forgive, and you shall be forgiven. Then he turns around and tells you to give, and it shall be given unto you. That's I remember, and since Fred's sitting back there, I'll tell us on Fred. I hope you don't mind this. But anyway, he says, oh, my lens, what am I in for now? But uh, when, I, when, Fred, when I first met Fred, and he offered to let me use this building for free as a place to start a church, 
He said, what you've learned needs to be... Everybody needs to know this. It had so changed his life. He said, I'll just let you use this building to start you a church if you want to. And well, I said, okay. And I started bringing some of my teachings down, which I didn't have very many. And he said, uh, you know, what? you give those away, don't you? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, well, then when you start a church, you won't be able to do that. He said, people will take this teaching and he said, you won't be able to keep up. They'll just take hundreds of them. And he said, they're so good. You've you got to sell them. See, doesn't that sound like a businessman? Sure. I mean, he is a good businessman. He knows in his business, he has to sell his product. He can't give it away and ever make a living. And he's looking at the ministry just like that. But I told him, I said, no, Fred, what I'm doing, I believe is God all the way. God has called me to do this. And so I'm going to give, and I don't care how much they take, as long as God provides the money to replace everything, I'm going to continue to give it away. I said, I'm not going to charge for anything. I don't care how much they take, how much they want. And if what I'm doing is God, I said, He will supply the needs to keep this thing going. Well, let me tell you, He has done that beyond our wildest dreams. You know, back in those days, we were giving away 10 or 20 tapes a week. Now we're giving away 10,000 a week. Isn't that awesome to think that I mean, the postage bill to send these things out all over the world is astronomical. You know, you ought to see what we spend weekly to keep this ministry going. It would be beyond your wildest dreams. Never did I dream that we'll be sending out this kind of product, buying this kind of equipment and everything. But yet, every time I need, I mean, used to, used to, when I needed $500, I'd get on my knees and pray and say, God, Lord, I got to have five hundred dollars to to make this thing fly this week. I got to have this, and now then I just say, Lord, I need ten thousand more this week or twenty thousand more. Lord, thank you, it's done. And you go to the post office and the checks are there. You know, so I mean, that's just like I remember a man over in uh, England that started. The Lord told him to start an orphanage for children, and so he started in his own home and he kept two, three, four, five, and kept growing and growing. And then finally, uh, the man's name was Mueller. Anybody know Brother Mueller? You've heard of him? Yeah, and he started and he continued and continued. And this man became one of the, through this, God developed him into the one of the greatest men of faith because he believed the Scripture, give and it shall be given unto you. As he gave and people began to, he said, Lord, i got to have a bigger house. I got to have more land and everything, and people would come and they would give, and then of course the children kept coming, and until he had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children and, and many houses. And I remember one day in one of the books I was reading about George Mueller, it said the uh, the people came to us said, Brother Mueller, we have 2,500 children sitting at the dining tables, and we don't have a single thing in the house to feed them. What do we do? What would you do if you had 2,500 children sitting there and it's noon and it's time for dinner? What are you going to do? Well, you do like most of us do. You would panic. But Brother Mueller, he went to the Lord. He said, Lord, these are your children. You have promised to meet them and meet all of our needs. So I want to thank you, Father, for providing the food for these children. He said, thank you, Lord. It's done. And the man came back in and he said, it's done. The food will be here within a half hour. The man thought he picked up the phone and called and ordered. But he, went, he ordered it okay. 
In a matter of a few minutes, trucks began to pull up out front, and they unloaded enough food to feed those children for days and days. And there was one of the men I read an article about in England that owned one of the huge companies that produced food. And finally, one night at 3 o'clock in the morning, he woke up and he said, called his general manager at the wee hours of the morning, 2 and 3, whatever it was, and said, this is so-and-so. Of course, he was the boss. He said, take a truckload of food over to Mueller's Orphan Home. He said, no, on second thought, take two. Then he thought, no, on next thought, take three. He said, I've got to get some rest. God won't let me rest. He's been telling me. I've got to provide food for these children. So he said, take three truckloads over there so I can get some sleep so God will leave me alone. (laughs) Now, when George Mueller prayed, a man of faith, that's just like one day he was coming to America to a meeting. And they were crossing the sea in a ship. And when they got out there, they came upon a very, very dense fog. And so the ship, of course, back in those days, didn't have all this radar stuff and, and all this stuff. So uh, they were having to go real slow because they didn't know there might be an iceberg or something in front of them or whatever. And so after a couple of days, Brother Mueller went to the captain. And he said, sir, are we going to get there on time? He said, well, this fog, no, we're going to be several days late. It looks like if this thing continues to stay. He said, well, we need to go and pray. Brother Mueller said that. The captain said, okay, you can come to my office. And so they went to the captain's office. They knelt down, and Brother Mueller prayed. And then the captain said, I will pray. And Mueller says, no, you don't know what faith is. I've already prayed. It's done. The sky is clear. And so the captain didn't know how to take that. He got up, opened the door, and looked out, and it was beautiful, clear, just like it is outside today. And the captain says, I don't know this God. Who is He? And so Mueller led him to Jesus and got him saved. Now see, when men and women of faith walk in the Word of God, those are the kind of things that God will do for you, and the world around you will have no problem knowing that you know who Jesus Christ is when you pray like that. But see, you've got to get your own life straightened up before you can do those kind of things. Now, you can't live the way most of the church is living today, you know, and, and get these kind of things done. We don't know why we can't get these things done, but we cannot. But the Lord is telling us here what we need to do. And when He's talking about removing that beam or that log from our own eye, there's a lot of us have a big, huge beam in our eye. We're living in sin. We're stealing from our company. That's just like I taught the people when I worked for the airline, or no, actually not the airline, but when I worked in the food industry, catered to the airlines. They gave us food to eat. We had a cafeteria. You know, they provided food. You could go eat anything you wanted. They had all kinds of soft drinks, milk, juice, anything you wanted in the cafeteria. But they didn't want you getting it out of the coolers because those were containers that were uh, the, the airlines had bought for their airplanes. And so if we went into the cooler and got a can of Coke, or if you went into the cooler and got a can of juice or milk or whatever, you were stealing. But see, people thought, well, they provide for me in the cafeteria, so what's the big deal? But it's stealing. So I explained to the men that work for me, you have to stop that because you're stealing. You know, if you want something to eat or drink, you can go upstairs and you can have anything you want and it's free. 
But if you take it from down there, and they all thought I was kind of crazy, you know, Thurman, I mean, you know, give me a break. I said, no, I'd like to get my prayers answered. Prayers answered? I said, yeah. I said, I mean, when's the last time one of you guys saw a miracle? Only 35 guys worked there. A miracle? What's that? Anybody seen Jesus do anything? No. What do you think is wrong with that bunch of guys? There's not any of them walking in obedience to God's Word. Not one single one. So as I started teaching these principles, one of the guys there, and I think he was a Lutheran or a Presbyterian, he thought, oh my gosh, i got a Bible-thumping boss. I'm going to have to find me another job. He'd only been there 20 years. <laughs> but he'd never seen anybody like me. What a shame. And so anyway, after we went along there for about three months, I'm praying with him every morning before we you know, start to work. I call the leads in because I'm the manager. And I call the leads in and I would pray with them and give them principles from the Word of God. But we hadn't seen anything. And then I had that privilege that morning in the cafeteria about 7 o'clock to pray for a lady that had corporal tunnel as well as many other things wrong with her. And when I prayed for her in the cafeteria in front of 40 people, out loud with my hands raised, God instantly healed that woman. Everybody knew that woman. And when they saw that awesome miracle, it changed everybody in that place. You know, when you start seeing miracles and see those kind of answers to prayer, it has a tendency to change the way you think about God. But see, you've got to meet the criteria in this book before God will do these wonderful things. Now then, let's go on to another scripture here. And I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're talking about judging. 1 Corinthians 5. Let me turn over there to 1 Corinthians 5 in my new Bible. We get Both of them, we get the King James and uh, 1 Corinthians 5. Now then, I want you to hear what it says. We'll start with verse 1, 1 Corinthians 5, 1. And this is Paul talking. And he said, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. Now, how many of you know what fornication is? That sex out of wedlock. That's when you have sex with somebody you're not married to, and usually it's when neither one of you are married. Neither one of you are married, but you're having a sexual relationship. He said it is reported commonly, in other words, everybody's talking about this, that uh, Bob and Sue or Jack and uh, uh, Susie or whatever, are living together or having sex together. Well, it's commonly reported that there is sex among you. And such fornication or sex as is not so much as named even among the Gentiles, the lost. That one should have his father's wife. Here is a young man. Here's a man that he's got a daddy. Let's say his daddy's 40 years old and he's 20 years old. And here is a young man that's all of a sudden, his daddy runs into a, I don't who knows what happened to his wife. Maybe she died or maybe they divorced or whatever. But he meets some young woman, say a 30-year-old woman, maybe 25-year-old woman. It doesn't say in the Scriptures. But he married a woman. Maybe she was 40 years old. Who knows? 
But anyway, he married her. And the son, since it's not his real mother, he's living in the same house with her. When daddy's not there, he's having sex with his stepmother. That's what this is saying. Sounds like a wonderful family, doesn't it? Daddy has sex with her at night, and the son has sex with her in the daytime when daddy's gone. That's what this is saying. Right here. And you are puffed up. And have not rather mourned. That he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, I have judged already. Ooh, doesn't Paul know that Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged? There must be something here, right? There's a difference between when Jesus taught this out there on the mountain with the people before the church was started. And now we've got a church. And now we've got apostles. And now we've got men in charge of the church. Now then, these people, Paul, which is one of these people, he says, For, verily, for I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, I have judged already, as though I were present concerning him that has so done this deed. In the name, now this is something that very few people have ever really seen in the Scripture. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, and my Spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Now surely, surely we wouldn't do something like that. Have you ever seen that done in church? So what's wrong? You ever seen anybody living out together out of wedlock in the church? Why, why don't we do this? Oh, good question, isn't it? To deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now see, God's being merciful to this person. See, we don't understand that. Paul understands this. Paul is judging this man that's living in sexual sin with his father's wife. Now, there is many, when he's talking about fornication, I mean, fornication can be anything. I mean, this 20-year-old young man could have been having sex with a girl on a date, and he's just as guilty. Is, he, is, that, is that true? Sure. It's all sex out of wedlock. And adultery. What if, what if he had been married, and he was still sleeping around with some single girl? Is that still sin? Absolutely. All these things are sin. Paul just can't believe, you know, that here, I mean, people sleep around and do things they're not supposed to do, and they fail and refuse to repent and just keep on doing it. But Paul, he can't believe that we've got one in the church that's sleeping with his father's own wife. And everybody knows it. Commonly, it's reported among you that this guy's doing this. And you're not saying anything bad about it. Nothing. But Paul knows that if this man continues in this sin, if this man continues in this sin, and he nobody judges him, and nothing is done, and this man dies in this sin, the Scripture says this man, although he declares and proclaims to be a Christian, 
Paul knows that this man shall not inherit the kingdom of God, and he knows this man's going to go to hell. Paul don't want this man to go to hell. So he says, go ahead right now, and if he won't repent, he won't turn from his wicked ways, then turn him over to the devil for destruction of the flesh. In other words, literally, with the Lord Jesus Christ in you, command this man to be released into the powers of Satan for Satan to kill his flesh. Why would Paul do that? So that the soul may be saved in the day of judgment. Right now, the man's just doing it for a little while and God's merciful. And so by Paul judging this man, Paul's judging him, saying, turn him over to the devil and let the devil kill his flesh. Because if the devil kills his flesh at this point right now, yes, he will die. But in the day of judgment, he has not gone past that point of no return and his soul will still go to heaven whenever the judgment day comes. He won't get any rewards. But at least he'll be in heaven. He won't be in hell forever. So see, Paul was being merciful. You know, many a time, Jesus, when you get into the healing ministry, you'll see people that are living in sin. I remember this one young man. I know God has done all these things to teach me. But one day when I was teaching at a Baptist church, we were talking a little bit about healing that day, which I didn't know very much about it back in those days, but I had a visitor. Now, I don't know who that visitor was. It might have been an angel. I don't know who he was. But it was a man that was only in my class one time. And he stopped there. We were talking about this. He said, you know, I had a brother that came down extremely ill. And he said, I, I studied these things. And he said, I know these promises of God. And he said, I begin to petition the Lord. Lord, heal my brother. Lord, you made me a promise right here. You said, I ask you these things. He was standing on some of these great and powerful promises that I didn't really believe as a Baptist back in those days. But he said, Lord, I'm claiming these mighty promises. And I'm asking you, Father, in Jesus' name, to forgive and heal my brother. He said, I prayed that sermon over and over and over for my brother. He said, finally, one day, God spoke to me and He said, Son, if you ask me one more time, one more time, I'm going to heal your brother. But before I do, I want you to know that if I heal him, what's going to happen in his life in the future is going to be many times more devastating than right now. He said, I stopped and I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I wanted him healed. But I didn't know this. So he said, Lord, your will be done in this case. He said, my brother died. I know a case. I thought about a story in the Bible where a king, a prophet, walked in and told the king, he said, get your house in order. The Lord told me to tell you you're going to die. And so the king turned his face to the wall and began to cry and said, God, I've been a good king. I have served you and I've served you well. I've done everything you said. And Lord, I want a little more time. And the Lord didn't speak to him. But he spoke to the prophet as he's walking out. And he said, tell, go back and tell Hezekiah, I have heard his prayers. I've seen his tears. Go back and tell him, I'm going to give him 15 more years. Now, Hezekiah was a young man at this point. So the prophet turned around, went back in, said, the Lord said to tell you, he's going to give you 15 more years. 
As the guy said, I need a sign. He said, okay, what do you want? You want the sundials to go forward 10 degrees or back 10 degrees? He said, well, the sun's going to go forward anyway. That's not a good sign. I want them to back up 10 degrees. Hey, you talk about a miracle. I mean, that's a pretty big sign he's asking for, isn't it? But can God do that? Yes, He can. And He backed the sundials back up 10 degrees. He sure did. He backed them up. And Hezekiah knew that God was serious that he was going to live 15 more years. And he did. He lived 15 more years. Anybody know what happened in those next 15 years to Hezekiah? He had another son. Anybody know what his name was? Manasseh. You know what? When Manasseh became king of Israel, you know how, what kind of a king he became? Rotten. Awful. I mean, miserable. It cost thousands of people their lives. Because he was wicked. We don't always know, do we? So if God don't speak to us and don't tell us, what do we always pray for? We want health. We want long life, don't we? Absolutely. We don't understand these things. But God knows and understands these things. So whenever we do pray, since God knows everything, just like this last week, I was really, 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 really uh, thinking about Johnny. And how we fought the battle for this 36-year-old young man. And I mean, that we prayed for that boy. We prayed for him. I mean, he was here on Sunday singing the Word of God and with his lovely wife. And the next week, he's gone. He died. I mean, 36. I mean, we prayed. All of us went up. We prayed. We, went, we spent hours at that house. We tried. To, he died at 2.30 in the afternoon. And we, pray, we prayed over him all night and didn't call nobody to do that until the next day. When we finally called, they thought we was nuts. Did he die two thirty this morning? No, two thirty yesterday afternoon. Well, why haven't you called? Well, because we're Christians and we're taking God's word. We want to raise him from the dead. They said, "What kind of a sect are you guys hooked up with?" Nobody believes the word of God anymore. I mean, Jesus tells us to pray for the sick, cleanse the lepers, and to raise the dead. We were just trying to be obedient. We didn't want this thirty-six-year-old young man to die. But God obviously knew things in the future that we didn't know. Because it can't say we didn't give it our best effort, did we, Ty? I mean, every one of us there. We all believed. But it didn't, it didn't bring you back. So I don't know. I don't know and I don't understand those kind of things. But I think about all these things that God does. And He knows what's going to happen. But Paul here, he's talking about this particular one, delivering this guy to Satan. He said in verse 6, your glorying is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leavens a whole lump? Now then, if you leave a man in the church and you don't confront the circumstances of sin in the church and you allow it to be commonly reported that this is okay and there's not a problem, it happens just like it did with the movies in America. Some of you are not near as old as I am. But I remember when Gone with the Wind came out, and there was one three-letter word spoken at the end of that movie. I mean, everybody in that movie liked to swallow their tongue. Oh, I used a cuss word in the movie. <laughs> one tiny little word. We didn't confront it to stop it. And then the church that was supposed to be critiquing all the movies that come out, they thought it got too expensive, so they withdrew that and let Hollywood do anything they want to do. The church is not controlling things anymore. When the church don't control the world, what does the world do? Well, if you don't know what's going on today, 
All you've got to do is turn on the television or the radio, and you can see it and hear it. It's awful. And people say, well, judge not, lest you be judged. Hey! Those people out there in the world, they're lost. That's not my job to judge them as we're going to see. But if you're in this church and you're living in some kind of sin, I'm going to confront you with that sin. I'm going to talk to you just as nice as I know how, but I'm going to tell you that sin is wrong and that sin could very well take you to hell. That sin could cause sickness and disease and all kinds of problems in your life. See, a lot of people, a lot of people in the church, they will tell you, I do not believe that I'm sick because of sin. But I'm going to tell you that's a fact. You know, without sin, this Bible says there's no sickness. None. But we don't believe that. You know what the biggest sin in the church is today? Unbelief. That's one of them. That's absolutely right. Unbelief of the promises of God. And you know what the major one is? Breaking the first commandment. Breaking the first commandment. As Ty and Cheryl go through deliverance, that is the first thing they go through with people in deliverance. You've got to make sure you're putting God first if you ever want to get delivered. I mean, you can do all the other nine perfect. If you don't put God first, he'll still, He will still send a demon to torment you. You know? I mean, he's a little bit jealous. A little bit. So when you bowed down before him, you think that made the king happy? Yes, I guarantee it did. It made the king happy. It showed him that you had humbled yourself in his presence. And he loves that. And you want to see him do miracles? You keep up the good work. You keep loving and serving the king. But he says, your glorying is not good. Or you're talking about this. Know you not that a little leaven leavens a whole lump. First thing you know, the whole church will be wicked and in sin. Will be, I mean, you know, so... I mean, so, so-and-so's stealing a little over here. So-and-so's lying a little over here. You know, so-and-so's living with somebody, you know, only once a month. You know, not a big deal. And then twice a month and twice a week and then just move in every day. Everybody's living together. No big deal. It's okay. It's not your job to judge them. If they're in the church, it's your job to judge them. But if you're living with somebody out of wedlock, then you can't talk about the other ones doing it. That's what he's talking about. Get the log out of your eye. You know, you can't do that. You've got to be walking holy, in other words, to be able to judge another person. Now, if you're walking holy before God, you can judge them. You know, don't go up and start talking about somebody because they'll say, in fact, I'll give you an example that happened to me. I, I learned some lessons the hard way, many of them. But I can remember one time, and some of you will remember this story. You've heard it on some of my teachings. I've told it once or twice. I remember years and years and years ago when I was a regional engineer for a corporation, and I had a guy behind me one day, and I was always very speedy, you know, and I'm walking fast, and this guy's trying to keep up with me. And I ran up there to the corporate office that morning to go in to see the VP or something, and when I hit the doorknob and turned it, the door was locked. The door had never been locked, but it was that morning. And so I ran into the door, and he was right behind me, and he ran into me and mashed me right into the door. Bam! I made this statement, who in the hell locked the door? Now, if I'd have been talking about hell, you know, church, nobody would have said anything. But that morning, I was using it as a slang word. Now, this has been years and years ago. And I made that statement. And then I put my key, opened the door, and it was one of my Christian 
lady friend standing on the other side of the door. I guess she was fixing to come this way, see, but I got there just a second in advance. Nobody said anything. But about six months or a year later, I was in a management meeting with about 25 other managers and the GM and everybody else, and they was using some of the foulest words. I mean, bad stuff. I, I just can't stand that. So I'm a manager myself, so I said, look, folks, I said, you know, we're all supposedly about half educated in here. Can't we communicate without using all this foul language? My little Christian sister stood up and said, Thurman, don't you profess to be holier than thou. I remember two years ago when you right out behind that door said, who in the hell shut this door? <laughs> Boy, you think the devil will ever let anybody forgive a sin you do? I mean, you've got to watch your mouth. I mean, that word hell that I used there in the context, yes, it was wrong, but it was one of the minorest words that was spoken that day in that room. You would not believe the foul words that was coming out of those managers and people's mouths. Awful. Hell was gentle. Hell was nothing. But I thought right there, if I want to be able to judge, I've got to do exactly what God said. I've got to clean up my act. And those words of profanity have left me. I ask God to cleanse my heart and purge me, and those words of profanity, I don't care how mad I get at whoever, I don't come back with words of profanity. It's not there. I ask God to take it away. And He did that. Now then, if I want to judge you as my Christian brother or sister, and I hear you take the Lord's name in vain, or I hear you say something, if I'm doing it myself, can I come say something to you? Absolutely not. You know, I mean, the minute I start to walk up to say, you know, you, and I looked there and there's three of them fingers pointing back at me and he said, you need to straighten your act up first. Is that true? See, that's why he's telling us as, our, as Christians, he says, straighten your act up. Become holy for I am holy. Then he says, you can judge your brothers. But if you're living in the same kind of sin they are, don't you judge them. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us. So He's telling us, straighten our act up. Now then, because we know what's happened, all of you know what's happened in the world. When the world was not confronted by the church any longer, it's not safe. It's not safe downtown Dallas for a single woman to walk down the street by herself. You know that? That's just like the other day. Many of you wasn't here on Tuesday night Bible study. But the other day, one of the officers that comes every Tuesday night, he brought a 10-minute clip of him chasing a man down through the streets of downtown Dallas. This was, this was a hairy ride. This guy has got a camera in his car. All of them do, I guess, the uh, police officers. He pulled up the other morning, and there is a man that had abducted a 9-year-old girl on the way to school, had stripped all of her clothes off. She was totally naked, and he was having sex with her in the back seat of his car. A nine-year-old girl. And he saw that. And when the guy saw it, he jumped in the front seat of his car with that poor little girl in the back seat with no clothes on, and he goes ripping down the street. And the officer chased him, and he had been to this church many a time. And he heard me teach the power of God and the angels and everything. But after 10 minutes, he's losing the guy. You can just not hardly see the guy. He says, Lord, he said, first of all, he said, God, this guy's going to run over somebody and kill him. And then the Lord convicted him. He said, you're speaking the wrong things. 
He said, oh Lord, forgive me for that. He said, Lord, run him under a bus, run him under a truck or something, but send an angel, but stop him in the name of Jesus. And that had much more cleared his mouth. And he ran under the side of a school bus and stopped him dead still. And then he's running up there in his own camera. He captures the guy, puts him down, and then the little girl gets out and they, she's trying to put something around her and the whole thing's on the video. Why? Why do we have to be confronted with these kind of things? Why can't a guy just pull a nine-year-old girl off the street and a grown man and rape her right there in the back seat of a car? I mean, your own children. If you've got a little girl, don't you let her walk to school by herself. You take that little girl. You never know who's out there patrolling these streets. Why does this happen today? Because we, the church, have not been holy. We've not confronted sin head on. We've not done what we're supposed to do. We're not even walking holy in the church. We have got to become holy instruments of God. Everything we do has to glorify our King. And he says there, if we don't, a little leaven, a little bit of sin will make the whole lump rotten. In other words, all of you, including myself, have made biscuits or bread or something, and you can take some dough and you can make a great big one, and you don't put no you don't put no uh, leaven of some kind in, no yeast or nothing. What's going to happen to that dough? Nothing. But if you put the yeast in it just a little, and you turn it around and shake it around and set it in there, and you put it under a little heat and moisture, what happens to that thing? That whole thing will rise up and make a big, big pan of beautiful biscuits. But then you forget to put the yeast in, then biscuits ain't going to be very good. Well, that's what's wrong with us today. We've let a little bit of leaven, just a little bit of sin, ruin us. Now look what he says here. Verse 7, Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. If He's unleavened, how much leaven is supposed to be in us? None. Not any. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. In verse 9, I, write, I wrote unto you, as an apostle, not to company with fornicators. Now, wait a he wrote this in a letter, an epistle. He wrote to them, telling them, you know, don't have nothing to do with a fornicator. But listen to what he says. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world. Now, see, that's where we miss it. Or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters. For then must you needs to go out of the world. In other words, if you, if you, as a church person, as a born-again, spirit-filled Christian, if you were to have nothing to do with anyone that was living in sin, who would you be able to touch? Nobody. That's right. The world is living in sin. I mean, I'll, I'll just give you an example. The other night... I was in a restaurant with Cheryl, 
And she t- said, honey, you see that guy right there? I said, yeah. She said, that guy has been a man that's really worked in sports. He has really done some great things. But now then, I understand he's got a rotor cuff gone bad, and he can't play no more. Well, now, I really didn't know at that time this guy has run around on his life. He's living in the world. So I went up to him and says, I understand you've got a bad rudder cuff. Can I pray for you and ask God to heal you? Oh, he said, sure, go ahead. I laid hands on him and prayed for him. Guess what God done for him? Healed him. He healed him. And then after later, when I found out he was living in sin, after we found out he was healed, Cheryl told me, said, you know, he's run around on his wife a few times. I said, good grief, it's a good thing I'm not God. Instead of laying hands on him, I'd have laid hands on him and killed him. Aren't you glad I'm not God, Keith? Amen. Because I'd have killed me and you too, right? That's right. See? But my mercy is not where God's is. I don't understand God, I'll have to say. I'm glad He's God. But I know, I know what he says for me to do. Now, I, I don't believe this man's saved. But only God really knows. So, whenever you're praying for the lost people, God don't tell you to sit down with them and find out what their sin is. Just pray for them. You know, pray that they get saved. You know, rebuke the devils over them. Do all kinds of things. But when you come inside the church, this is an entirely different situation. Entirely different. Now then we get people in the church, and usually when people come here for healing, they're church members somewhere. So when they come here, we step down and find out what their sin is. Why? Because if they're out there in the world, are they God's children? No. They're the devil's children. If you're in the church, are you God's children? Yes. If you're in the church and you're God's children, and you're sick or afflicted or tormented, now then you've got to get your sins repented of, and we get that taken care of. And once we get used to walk back, go through deliverance. Go through, Lord, I'm sorry I haven't put you first. Lord, I'm sorry I, I, I lied, I sold, I cheated, I committed adultery. I did all the things I've done. Lord, I ask you to forgive me. Now, as a child of God, if you ask Him to forgive you, and you tell Him, Lord, I'll stop doing all that nonsense, will He forgive you? Yeah, <laughs> praise God. That's the good part. He puts our sins as far as the east is from the west and never remembers them again. And I mean, that's Cheryl's favorite verse in Psalm 103, verse 12. Because we all know we have had sins, and nobody knows our sins better than we do. And Cheryl used to tell me, she said, you know, I'm the worst sinner in the church. I said, would you please stop saying that? Yeah, she said, why? I said, because I'm the pastor and I deal with these people and I know what their sins are. You're not the worst sinner in the church. You know, I said, we got some bad ones in here, okay, but you're not the worst. <laughs> We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But when God forgives you and cleans you up, He makes you clean and white again. Now then, your sins are forgiven. But now then, what does He want you to do? Stop sinning. Now, let's go and see what else He says now there. He says, he's, but verse 11, but now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator. Now, is this a different situation? I mean, I'm dealing with you as my brother and sister. I hear you're out running around. I mean, 
So your wife left you or she died or whatever, and you're 30 years old or 40 years old or whatever, or you're out of town a lot. You know, like I used to be an airline pilot, and I was out of town a lot, especially being an international pilot. And I was out of town sometimes two, three weeks at a time as an international airline pilot. Well, most of the guys that was in that cockpit with me had no problem running around on their wife when they was out of town. Most of them. Not all of them. But most of them had no problem with it. I mean, after all, what's the big deal? My wife's at home. You know, I'm out here in the world. You know, not a big deal. But I was the son of God. And I knew that was wrong. So I ain't going there. I mean, I think about when we went to Vietnam... We was over there for months and months and months, and the Surgeon General met with us and told us, he said, whatever you guys do, don't go downtown to one of these girls downtown, these prostitutes, because most of them have two, three, or four diseases, and some of them are so uncurable, we don't even know what they are. So he said, whatever you do, don't go down there. And guess what some of those guys did? They went down there anyway. And some of those guys came back to the States Married men that are going to come back home to their wife with an incurable venereal disease that can't be touched by a doctor. You talk about the height of stupidity. What are you, how are you going to explain this to your wife? Serious stuff, isn't it? It really is serious stuff. But he says, Now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother. In other words, he's saying he's a Christian. And he's a fornicator. Or, not only just a fornicator, but if he's covetous, or if he's an idolater, or if he is a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortionist, with such a one, do not even sit down to eat a meal with them. Is this, is this in your Bible? So if somebody in the church is any one of those things, if he's a drunkard, you've got somebody in the church that's a drunkard, you come and sit down and say, you know, you need to stop drinking. A, a, a glass of wine or maybe a bottle of beer or maybe even a drink. If one once in a while, one, maybe as long as you still drive, you know, it's not going to put you to hell. But if you're going to get wiped out and you're getting drunk, you know, I don't care if you're not driving that car. You're getting drunk. You're a drunkard. The Word of God calls you a drunkard. He says, if you're a drunkard, you're to go to that person and say, you know, you need to stop drinking because God says, do not be drunk with wine. Strong drink will kill you. Jesus says, don't do it. So you need to straighten your act up. Oh, that's okay, Dad. Or Mom. Maybe it's Mom or Dad talking to them. That's okay. You don't understand. I mean, once saved, always saved. I can do anything I want to do. God now understands. Boy, is that one of the biggest lies ever been said, especially to the Baptist. I know. I was a Baptist for years. But that's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says, if you're a drunkard, you're to go to them and sit down and tell them, hey, the Word of God says you're not to be a drunkard anymore. You're to stop that nonsense. You're to purify yourself and be holy because God is holy. Show it to them in the Word. And then if they say, that's okay, I don't believe that. I heard a preacher say, once saved, always saved. I can go do what I want to do. Then I have to say, you can't come to my house no more. Don't invite me to your house for dinner. I ain't coming. I can't be where you are. Is this what the Bible teaches? But that's my son. I can't help it. That's my daughter. I can't help it. All I can do is tell you what Jesus said. Does that mean you stop loving them? No. You love them. You be good to them. 
But as long as they live in that sin, what does Jesus tell you to do? Have nothing to do with them. You have to love them from a distance. You can't invite them to your home to sit down and have a meal with you. Or at least, that's what Jesus is saying. Was Paul judging this person? Absolutely he was judging this person. But who was this person professing to be? A brother, a Christian, a sister in Christ. You know, as Christians, we're supposed to be different. Is that true? We're supposed to be holy. We're supposed to be known as purity, sons and daughters of the Most High God. You know, has every one of us in this place made mistakes? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Multitudes of times. But did you know, if I'd had somebody teach me this Bible like it's written when I was 11 years old and I first got saved over the next five years, there'd have been a lot of things I wouldn't have done. I didn't know the consequences of sin. I did not know. I mean, I was, I was raised Baptist. And I heard it many times. Once saved, always saved. I thought, well, it's okay. Once I get saved, yeah, okay, so I don't have time to go to church for two or three weeks or a month or whatever. It ain't no big deal. You know, if I want to use a little bad profanity, if I want to smoke, drink, or whatever I want to do, if I want to, it's okay. God understands. No, He does not. He made a set of rules, and I'm going to be judged according to these rules, not what the pastor said. You know that? But Lord, that man said, once saved, always saved. He said, I, I, that's not what I said in my Bible. You should have gotten a book and read it. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of people today believe that once you get saved, once you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can do. You have a license to live in sin. But I'm telling you, when you read this book, clearly you'll find out this is not true. You know that? This book demands purity and holiness. Now it says here, next says, For what have I to do to judge them also that are outside? Do not ye judge them that are within. Or what he's trying to say there in plain English, he says those that are outside, that's not their business. God will judge them. But those that are inside the church, if you're a woman and you have a good Christian sister and you see she does something wrong, you need to go sit down and talk with her. But before you go sit down and talk with her, what do you need to make sure you're doing? Make sure you're clean and pure. So, you want to go sit down and talk to your sister, you see she has a glass of wine every night for dinner. But you drink six beers every day. So, you want to go talk to her and tell her the wine is not good. You can't do that, can you? Absolutely not. Because you haven't cleaned up your act. When you get your act clean, that's what Jesus is talking about. Get the log out of your eye. Then you go sit down to the one who's got the little bitty speck in their eye. And you can talk to them. Now, then. But them that are outside, God will judge. Therefore, put away from yourselves that wicked person. What do we if we, we confront a person that's living in sin, we, can, we confront a person that's living in sin, and they hear us and they repent, then what are we to do? Love them and teach them what the Word says. But if they say, I don't agree with what God says, I'm drinking, or I'm living with somebody out of wedlock, or, or I'm I'm idolater, or any number of those things we talked about there, I'm not going to change. It's my life. I'll do it like I want to. 
if you're not willing and you say you're my brother or sister in Christ, then I say, I'm sorry, you're not welcome in my church no more. Somebody said, you wouldn't throw somebody out of church. Guarantee I will. And not only when I throw you out, guess who I'm going to turn you over to when you walk out of that door? I'm going to turn you over to Satan. Why am I going to turn you over to Satan? Because I want you, I want, just like Ty and I was talking the other day, he was talking about turning somebody over, and he said, God, I'm turning over to you, you can do anything to him, but please don't kill him. He wanted him to change him, but he didn't want him to kill him. Well, I guess there's not anything wrong with that. But Paul, right in this case, Paul was going to turn him over to Satan for destruction of the flesh. So that in the day of judgment, the soul would be saved. Why do you think he done that? Because does, he, does Paul want the church to be pure? Yes. Right now, we're fixing to take communion. And you, if you've got a sin in your life, as a James and all those get together and they start passing out the elements, everybody's going to help. As y'all start passing that out, if you have any kind of known sin in your life, any kind, you need to ask God to forgive you of your sin. He says in His Word in 1 Corinthians that if we judge ourselves, we will not be judged by Him. And I'll tell you what, I'd a whole lot rather judge me and get my sin taken care of and then God say, okay, I'm getting a switch after you. I don't like the switch when God has it. He can hit hard, can't He keep? We both know that, don't we? We don't like daddy switch, do we? No, no. I'd a whole rather judge me and get rid of my sins and stop the nonsense, hadn't you? Absolutely. I guarantee. So if you've got a sin of any kind in your life, get rid of that sin. Now get rid of it. Purge yourself. Cleanse yourself. God will deliver you. He will set you free. Now he also says there in 1 Corinthians 11, he says that, Many of us in the church, because we come to this table right here unworthily, when we come to this table unworthy with sin in our life, he said many of us, when we take the wine and the bread unworthily, it brings forth death. You know, when I read that, I thought, wow, if I take this and don't get my sins confessed, God might just kill me. I don't know about you, but I'm not ready to die yet. Are you? I want to live. I want to live and I want to enjoy life. You know, I want to live and I want to enjoy life. I want to be able to go places to do things for the kingdom of God and see people set free, saved, healed, and delivered. And I can't do that as a dead man in the grave. Now, when I said that I can do it as a dead man... But I have to crucify and kill the flesh. Do you all know how difficult that is? You know how hard it is to kill the flesh and let the Spirit rule you? You know, I mean, it is something else to to let the Spirit be in control. Now then, the only way you can do that is if you feed that spirit man of yours the Word of God every day. When you read that and bow down before, I love that. When you bow down before Him in love and adoration and worship the King, I can see the King there with you and your daughter thinking, there's two of my babies. They're loving me. They want to worship me. He was pleased. He was pleased. But He loves us. Somebody said, well, you know God loves everybody. He would never do nothing bad to me. 
I will have to say, He loves you. He loves the whole world. And there ain't nothing can separate you from the love of God. But I'm going to tell you that if you get out of a, of a love walk with the church or with people and you start doing what's wrong, God will chasten you because He loves you. And I mean, you take a parent. When I was raising up my son and my daughter, now listen to me. I'm just like y'all. I was thinking about that a while ago when she saying, my daughter. When everybody was saying, my son, my daughter. Why don't we say, our children? You know, when I was, we were raising ours, if my son run a good run at a football, my wife would jump up and scream, look at my son. He's going. Look at my son. But I could come home in the afternoon and say, I have asked your daughter to clean her room, and she will not. Will you please take care of your daughter? Anytime they done something wrong, they became my children. When they were doing things right, they were her children. You know, I noticed that as we're saying, my daughter. Instead of saying, our daughter, our children. We love to claim them when they do things right. Don't we? Yes. But God does love us. And you can't separate Him and His love from us. But He will chasten you. And just like I had to chasten, it hurt me, especially when I had to chasten my daughter. My son, it was a different deal. He's a boy. You know, I could whop him, you know, and, and you know, and of course I got tickled at him as he grew up. He thought I was beating on him excessively. I probably gave him five spankings in his life, but it straightened him up. He told me, he said, Dad, the only problem with you is you were too lenient on me. I'm not going to be that lenient on my son, but he lied. <laughs> his little son gets away with a whole lot more than he ever did. So, you know, whatever Daddy says, this hurts me more than it does you. We say, yeah, sure. But now we understand that once we get our own children, don't we? It hurts God. You have to discipline us. But He does. And even to the point, He said, if you take this unworthy, many of you will be sick and die because you take this unworthily. So how do you prevent that? You repent. You say, Lord, I'm sorry for every sin I've committed. I mean, you just spend a few seconds with Him right where you're seated. Say, Lord, I want to be right with You. I confess every sin known and unknown. I want to be holy. I ask You to forgive me of every sin. And Lord, I thank You because I know You've done it. Never forget to praise Him and worship Him. Now then, that we've done that, this bread is pierced and striped. It's unleavened. It's flat. There's no sin in it. Just like there's not supposed to be in us. We take this as a living example of our Savior. He said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have nothing in me. Well, Father, we take this as a symbol of your body, the Son's body that went to the cross for us, that paid the price for our sins so we can repent of our sins and we can walk holy in your presence. And Father, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. And the blood. There's not anything in the universe as powerful as the blood of the Lamb. I don't care what you've done or how bad you've been. This will cleanse it. This will make you new. Thank goodness for a Jesus that will wash us and cleanse us and then give us His promises and tell us what He wants us to do 
And if we will be obedient and hide His Word in our heart, walking holy before Him, literally you can come and ask your King for anything, and He will do it for you. So, Father, we thank You for this juice which represents the blood of the Savior. We thank You for it. In Jesus' name. After you've taken that, with every sin repented of, you can breathe into the atmosphere and say, Now, devil, be offended at my breath. I'm clean and pure, and you have no legal claim to me. Away from me in the name of Jesus. And at that point, you have power over the devil. Praise the King. Now we're going to close with a word of prayer and then we're going to invite anybody that wants to to come up for any kind of decision. All the media back there is free. You can take anything you want. All of it. We don't charge for nothing. If you want to give a donation to the ministry as you leave, there's a box over there. If you put an envelope in that and want a record of what you give, then put your money in there and put your name on it so we'll know. And if you give a check, you don't need an envelope, but if you want to use one, you can. We will be sending out giving records within the next two or three weeks. We're already working on that. Cheryl and Dave was trying their best last night to get uh, uh, everything they need together to print out everybody's giving records. Uh, so, And we are so grateful for all the things that everybody gives to the ministry last year because it costs a lot of money, at least from my standard, where I was used to living. I mean, it costs a lot of money, a lot of money to keep this ministry running. We're, I mean, just so that you'll have some kind of an idea. It varies. But right now, every week, we have to have somewhere between ten dollars and $20,000 a week to keep the ministry going. That's a lot of money to me. I mean, I used to didn't make that much. And now I have to have that every week. You know, but God takes care of it. He sends it, you know. Everybody gets paid every week. All the cam order bills get paid every week. And I sat down last night to pay my MasterCard. I told Krista the other day, I said, don't give Phil your checkbook. She said, why? I said, because, you know, uh, all the stuff he spent and everything, I said, I just paid the bills. Of course, sometimes he spends 1500 sometimes 3000 whatever, every week. But last week, I paid the business MasterCard for the Living Savior Ministries, and it was just a little less than $20,000 just on the MasterCard. How would you like to have a $20,000 bill on... Rosemary, (laughs) aren't we glad we serve Jesus, Rosemary? He pays all of the bills. I mean, here a while back, we had to buy two new printers. The two new printers cost $15,000. But that Sunday, I made a statement about that. And before we left, when I got home, somebody, one person, put a check in that box that more than paid for those two $15,000 printers. You know, hey, you know, God, no problem. He takes care of your needs. All you got to do is serve the king. He knows who's got the money and everything. But I don't care if you give $20,000 or you give a dollar. God's keeping your records. He knows what you're giving and He knows your heart. Just like the little woman that gave the two little tiny mites. The Lord says, He looked at her and says, She gave out of her poverty. She gave more than all the rest of you out here. The rest of them were just dropping the money in. I mean, they were throwing it in there. And He said, She gave more than all of you. She gave out of her need. The rest of them gave out of their abundance. But God knows. He keeps records. 
and I'm glad we're serving the king. So he keeping records with me too. So when I send money to Focus on the Family or uh, Sid Roth or whoever or GLC, you know, well, we give GLC, we give them the biggest tithe of, well, actually we won't give them a tithe, we give them a group of money uh, every quarter and sometimes in between because they're putting us on television four to six times a week, 30 minutes at a time, and do all the production. And they don't charge us a penny for nothing. Yet we're on television, covers two-thirds of the world. We're getting phone calls from Europe and all over the place, and that don't cost us nothing. So why would I not give them five or $10,000 every time I think about it? You know, because it costs them money to do what they're doing. And we are so grateful to them. So anyway, God... Keep sending the money, and we keep putting it into different things and pay all these bills, and we have never, never, ever been in the red in the Living Savior Ministries. Not one single time, and I've never asked anybody for money on a ready or nothing, but God is the giver. He did say in Luke 6.38, we read, what give, and it will be given to you. Didn't that what he said? So if you give a dollar to the ministry or a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars or a million dollars, you know, God's keeping records, and he knows what he's doing. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we're grateful that this is your ministry. We're grateful that you're our king. And, Lord, we're grateful for your promises. And, Lord, we ask you to help us to walk holy this week in everything we do, in every place we go. May we be holy and pure and clean. And may every word that comes out of our mouth bring glory and honor to you. And, Lord, we ask you to bless us, bless us. All the people, bless the people we come in contact with. And Lord, use us to bring people into the kingdom to get people saved, healed, and delivered, and to teach your word. And we thank you and praise you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.